You're listening to U.S. Phenomenon with your host, Mario Magana. For this week's paranormal story, it comes to mind with a recent change in clocks for many people to advance to daylight saving time. And we thought, through Mario, our host, maybe we should look at some of these stories of people that have clinically died, but suddenly come back. And the length of time, is it just a matter of seconds or a matter of minutes or even longer? Gina shares, my mother and I were in a very bad car crash. She went to cardiac arrest and was resuscitated with the paddles. She told me that she was floating above her body and then abruptly ended up in a tunnel. Suddenly, she heard my deceased uncle tell her that she had to go back, that after he said no, the tunnel closed, and she ended up back in her body. Lori shares, Looking around me, I could see a room that appeared to be formed from pure white clouds, yet wasn't solid. In the room were three beings made of shimmering crystal. Light shone through them like a glass prism forming a rainbow. One was larger than the other two. But all of them spoke to me, and I was afraid, and they seemed to realize this. Instantly, they transformed into what I recognized as angels. They didn't have bird wings. They had fibers like fiber optic cables and were shaped like wings and pure light shone through the fibers, forming colors of all shades. When they spoke, their messages were sent telepathically. Then, suddenly I woke up. Dawn says, at a point where I realized I wasn't among the living, I realized I was in hell. There was a low murmuring all around me, as if I were in the midst of a huge group of grumbling people. Before me, suddenly, stood a huge black door. The air began to glow and shimmer with oppressive heat. I watched as the door opened upon a vast, flaming oven. I felt myself drawn like a magnet into the center of the flames, although I was terrified to go in. There were hundreds of others already there, roasting to death, but not dead. And once I was inside, the door slammed shut behind me. I woke up. I'm Mark Christopher, and that's your paranormal story for this week. Thank you, Mark. Uh, that is our paranormal story of the week. If you sent, let us know what your story might be at, uh, you can email me, mario at onairmario.com. Uh, we'll look forward to hearing your story. If you have one, a paranormal story of the week. Uh, tonight, our guest, we are talking about something that happened locally here. Sightings from back in 1947. Everyone talks about Roswell being the UFO mecca, but really... I, I really want the stake and the flag to be here. I want the big UFO flag to be flying high here on top of the Space Needle saying this was the actual spot of the first sightings and not everyone goes to Roswell to be like, ooh, you know, let's buy our little trinkets and make it a huge touristy thing. But really, we're talking about something that took place back in 1947, just prior to Roswell. It was the Maury Island incident. Now, there's alleged very different variations of this story and also the dirty hoax that are out there uh, about the story about Maury Island. Now, tonight, our guests, uh, Charlotte and Philip, are uh, sharing their encounters of all the data they've collected. And I thank you so much for taking the time tonight to, to be with us. Thank you, Mario. And um, yeah, I, again, this is a very intriguing mystery. It's complex. Um, it, it has, to me, all the elements of actually, quite frankly, a great movie. But it, um, it's well-documented. And, you know, again, our, our intent, you know, as researchers and just even being curious was to kind of revisit and look at this again. And, 
kind of find out, okay, what, what was really going on? Um, again, um, UFO organizations like Move On, they just kind of written it off as a hoax, and, you know, that was it. Um, but about 10 years ago, we started, you know, deep diving into libraries and, and online and actually going out to Kelso, Washington. Um, we kind of rediscovered the crash site. Um, again, talked to a local who was there as a young boy um, at the time of the crash. And uh, we, we also, you know, discovered new paper, newspaper headlines. And as, as you can sit there and see, we, again, put it on the cover of our book. Uh, what we believe to be the only photo of the crash site that was taken by, that was a long view daily and in it you will see military officers and about a dozen people looking over pretty much just a scored section of of a ravine and it was it was a huge crash and uh, a lot of the locals um helped out um but the newspaper photographer was able to get in there before the place was cordoned off and again, the, the military officers were supposedly carrying a box of this mysterious black lava rock, you know, fragments that supposedly were dumped from um, these, these UFOs. Um, one of the things I want to mention, again, which makes things intriguing, is Harold Dahl would actually relate that he was visited by... A man in black, uh, I guess today what we call a man in black, who kind of, you know, intimidated him and threatened him not to talk anymore about um, this case. Again, we don't know if that was true or not, but again, it is considered the first documented case of a man in black. And, and was those men in black, were they directed by J. Hoover back in those days? I mean, I've, I've heard that, but I wasn't. I, I wasn't sure if that was under his directive. We, we, we don't know. We do know now from the FBI documents um, that Hoover was aware of this incident, of this sighting. And, of course, the, the nation then, um, you know, would later, you know, hear of this Air Force crash. Um, and, yeah, it, w it would mar the Air Force Day. Um but what, what's interesting is uh, going back over the newspapers, um, we discovered new headlines. Um, we contacted the families of Harold Dahl. Um, and what's intriguing is um, there was a Tacoma Times news reporter by the name of Paul Lance who was doing some serious inquiring into this story. And interestingly, we'd find out through his family that he himself would also be visited by two so-called men in black. Interesting. Who, yeah, who would question him. And um, this, this account is related by um, his wife and uh, his family years later.
Our guests tonight are uh, Charlotte and Philip. They are joining us to talk about the Maury Island incident and the different levels of, I want to say complex. It is very complex story mm-hmm. on, on, it's not just the alleged crash sighting of possible UFO and matter of some foreign object. You got the men in black, you got the, the, the UFO sightings over by Mount Rainier. You're just coming out of a war. There's just so many different levels on this story, and which so much intrigued me that I've watched the docu- the short film that came out back in, what, 2014, I believe it was, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, I just, I've watched it multiple times. I, I, I enjoy it, but it's just like, there's pieces of it where I'm like, especially with the men in black coming to the door and things of that nature, but... Um, I, I, I just, it's such a fascinating story and there's so much rich uh, history that uh, the story uh, brings. It, it, it is. Um, and again, it, it, to me, it's almost a great example that um, it is complex, but it is still worth looking into because, um, again, it was written off years ago and in and, and, we do, you know, I would like to kind of elaborate a little bit on the hoax aspects. Yes, please. Let's we for find sure. out later that Harold Dahl did confess and admit that it was a story just to kind of sell and um, very likely get attention um, to uh, Ray Palmer, a publisher of of. of kind of a, the science fiction magazine. Um, and interestingly, as we now know, um, Kenneth Arnold's story on this would make the first um, edition of Fate magazine. Which okay. Ray Palmer started, actually. Yeah. And um, so th- this, again, was a story. Um, and what we have to look at is... Um, the newspaper reporters, Seattle PI at the time, um, the Tacoma Times, these were, um, the journalists were, were also by default investigators too. They needed to make sure that the story that they were putting out was legitimate and valid. Um, and, and again, it all makes it very intriguing. Um, there were some serious questions about Harold Dahl's story. Um, his his wife was very upset with him um, when the uh, Seattle PI uh, journalist came over. Um, she was trying to get him to admit that it was just a story. And what we hear through Kenneth Arnold is that yes, subsequently he was very reluctant to kind of further that that line of story that, you know, there was something mysterious about this black lava rock. And there seems to be some indications that the two military officers were informed about um, the validity, if you will, of these, this black lava, this rock substance. And to the point that they didn't seem to be very interested in taking it with them. Um, to the point that Fred Crisman had almost pushed them uh, to take it. 
Um, and there's a lot of mysterious aspects about it. Um, but uh, I, I just want to kind of, uh, if you want to mention a little bit about, as bizarre as it seems, Fred Chrisman. I, I wanted to talk a little yeah. bit about Fred Chrisman. He was a very multifaceted guy. Um, he seemed to show up everywhere, kind of like Forrest Gump. And he was actually <laughs> involved with the JFK assassination. Interesting. He was, he was, some people thought he was one of the three men on the grassy knoll, the tramps on the grassy knoll. And it was actually a subpoena for the Jim, Jim Garrison investigation. People are familiar with that. And if you ever see the movie on JFK, he wasn't in it, but the background of the Garrison investigation was involved in that. As, as, as we're talking about the Morgan Island incident, now, was, was that gentleman part of the CIA? We, uh, we don't know. Yeah. Um, I mean, it's, you know, yeah. It's so, um, it, and it, I, th I think some people think he was, actually. And, and what, what I have the, uh, an issue with is if this gentleman had crashed or took his vessel and had to land it on the beach, and all of a sudden now it's a dirty story or a hoax like the evidence we don't, we don't believe that it was true okay we think he just made that up that he saw stuff on the beach it in it, one of the defining things for us again as researchers is there actually is a letter um dated in early june that indicates that Dahl and Chrisman were trying to promote this so-called mysterious slag way before their so-called first sighting. I gotcha. So for for us, that's that's pretty definitive. That this was just a story. Does that explain all the bizarre, um, what do you call uh, encounters uh, yeah. with these men in black, where they? trying to quiet something that maybe was really going on. Now, if you're familiar with author and researcher John Keel, who wrote Muffman Prophecies, his theory was that there was what you call dumping going on on the island from aircraft, but that metal slag if, um, was, from Hanford, was, was from the Hanford nuclear plant. So, um, again, it's just a theory. Um, it's all in our book. <laughs> <laughs> but um, Which you can find on, on Amazon, right? Yes. Right. yes. But um, I, I will let you know, and, and so that's why um, when we people revisit the crash site, or you can now go onto Maury Island and visit the um, preservation uh, park, where this supposedly um, sighting occurred, people are always looking for this black lava-like rock. Um, what's what's interesting is about ten years ago, we the museum was actually given a piece of metal um, from a gentleman named Elmer Fromback, who claims when he was young. Um, 
he came across this piece and just collected it because it was unusual when him and his father went kind of uh, uh, picnicking on the beach. Now, as all good researchers and investigators, we did verify that um, his family did have a residence on Maury Island and through property records. And, um, you know, we had this piece of slag for quite a while. Um, and it's just literally recently we are now actively going to get that analyzed. The only thing we know about this piece of, of metal is that it's thank goodness it's not radioactive i was gonna say because um, <laughs> uh, our our museum you know uh when we had it open actually did have a geiger counter so that's that's one yeah, of the gotcha. things that we're always very careful about our, our, um, real quick so if you're just joining us we're talking about the maury island incident we're talking about the alleged uh ufo crash sighting which uh, could have been a dirty hoax. We're talking about the different levels of this story about the UFO sightings that took place back at Mount Rainier, the alleged crash sightings at Maury Island, this, uh, this debris that was uh, found on the island and you guys have a piece of. Uh, I, I have a couple of questions I want to ask about the gentleman who may have had the stuff. Now, I remember in the movie. Now, did he? The, the gentleman died, right? He died of cancer. No. Um, what gentleman? Uh, uh, Dull. No. No. Okay. Well, I, I wonder where I got that from. I just assumed because he had the, uh, he had that slab that I just assumed that it was radioactive and he probably died of cancer. But. Uh, please continue. Yeah, um, it, and part of the interesting thing, you know, now we're getting, in regards to the slag, and, and maybe people see that as kind of being, you know, something tangible, something physical right. you can hold in your hands. Um, the newspaper reporter, Paul Lance, um did get a sample and he did get it analyzed at the University of Puget Sound. And so um, there wasn't anything unusual about it other than I think it had a higher nickel content. Ah, okay. And um, what's encouraging is, yes, we had researchers, we had people checking things out and we had a level of discernment, you know, um, and that's one of the things that's exciting for us now is that we are looking to get it, this slag that was donated to the museum, um, finally analyzed. Um, and it, the analysis is close to what the analysis in 1947 by the Tacoma Times and the University of Puget Sound, that will at the very least, you know, um, kind of confirm that uh, these two pieces of metal um, were, were very likely um, for, was from a Maury Island dumping. 
Um, there's nothing unusual about it. Um, at the same time, because of the signature of its of its material, if we can fingerprint that to any other location, say like Hanford or the Ace Sarco smeltering plant in Tacoma, yeah. Um, well, we will have at least highlighted and and um, hopefully kind of create awareness of what was going on in 1947. Uh, Vashon Island and Moore Island have done a gr great job and efforts in trying to clean up, um, you know, a lot of the smeltering, you know, uh, hazards in, in the environment. Um, and, you know, we... For us as kind of explorers and researchers, it's it's always really exciting when you can hopefully bring history to life and discover a photo that has never been seen before, where where people have just in the past related comments or this happened. We can now we now have photos of Captain Davidson and um uh, First Lieutenant Frank M. Brown. No one had knew knew what they even looked like before. We've been able to talk to the families of uh, the daughter of Harold Dahl and the family of of uh, Paul Lance, and no in, in confirmation of of what they were trying to do. And it's it's also. Um, our, our research really is also a tribute to the Air Force in really trying to, again, pay tribute to them to what they were trying to do. And that's, I think, the merit of, of talking about and creating awareness of the Mar Island UFO incident. Uh, our guests tonight, uh, Charlotte and Philip. Uh, thank you so much for uh, spending uh, the hour with us tonight to talk about the alleged crash sighting, it, you know, trying to look at all the levels and just even for myself, someone who really, really loves a story. As we near the end of the show, we're going to have to take this to the podcast. I'd like to thank Charlotte and Philip for their time this evening. What an amazing show. We'll continue on our podcast. If you have a chance, go download our podcast on your favorite podcasting platform, iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Play, all of them are available. iHeart, Amazon Prime, they're all there. Uh, for my entire team, I'd like to thank uh, Mark Christopher, Sophia Magagna, and myself, Mario Magagna. Remember to look up at the sky, because you never know what you might see. Good night. There is a house in New Orleans. They Phenomenon with your host Mario Magana.